Hello, this is Sydney Sarah, and welcome to Sydney's Prophetic Podcast, where I speak into your life and minister to you prophetically. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today, I'm going to be actually sharing a testimony of how God has healed me and is still healing me from rejection. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for every listener that's going to be listening to this episode, this this segment, Lord God, and let this be encouraging. Let this be enlightening for them that they can be healed. They can be whole. Hallelujah. Because you've, you've come to bind the brokenhearted, Lord God. You are near the brokenhearted, as it says in Psalms. And we just thank you, Lord God. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just, you know, first of all, God is so good. He is so, so good. And I kind of don't know where to start, but, oh, yes, I do. So I, in elementary school, I was your typical goody two shoes, you know, your little angel. And I always got like the citizenship award. <laughs> um, I wasn't perfect, but I felt pressured to be. And I just remember, first of all, I, my childhood was, you know, better than most comparing like from the outside in and compared to a lot of people's stories. My childhood was very nice. It was very decent, but emotionally and mentally speaking, not so great because I remember this is when I really developed my relationship with authority. Right. So I just remember there were teachers, there were faculty, there was authority that was nice to me. And there was ones that were not. There were teachers who were talking to me. And then there were teachers slash faculty members that were talking at me. Excuse my dog. And it, it was just. But I remember just a lot of adults was constantly yelling at me. And, and one thing I noticed with black children in general is that there's always this perception like they, they have to be tamed. And that's just not true. You can talk to black children, not to say that they don't need to get in line and whatnot. They don't need discipline, but there is a way to do it. And not every child, you know, it, needs to be their behavior needs to be tamed in some sort of way because there's nothing to tame but anyway let me continue so I just felt very pressured I felt very scared and I felt very threatened I was a very sensitive child uh, when I was younger so this could also play a part in it because if you yell if you yelled at me or even not even yell, if you talk to me in a stern way, like you wasn't yelling, but you talked to me like, I don't know, my mind like gave off some kind of indication that you were angry at me. I bursted out crying, just point blank, period. <laughs> um, I took everything a little too seriously. So, yeah, it was it was rough in that sense, because I love to this day, I loved the teachers, I loved it. First of all, all the faculty members were great, but I specifically loved the teachers who talked to me like a person 
rather than talking at me or yelling at me. And the ones who talked to me and treated me like a person, I remember doing very well um, in their class. And we had a great relationship. We had a great student-teacher relationship. I was, I loved them dearly. For instance, uh, the science teacher, we had a white science teacher in like this all-black school. There was only like two white teachers <laughs> um, in this all-black elementary school. And his name was Mr. Sawkins. Shout out to him. And he was, I remember him. He would get stern. He would give, he would get stern when needed though. And that's why I like, he had a nice balance. He would get, he would get stern when needed and he would, he would crack jokes and whatnot. But uh, we had a, I miss him dearly. We had a great relationship. We had a great student teacher relationship. And I remember that's, and in a way, that's how I fell in love with science. But, um, he was, yeah, he, but he was an example of one of the teachers that was talking to me and was not, I really, like I said, I remember him being stern and there were times where, you know, he got a little upset at the way we were acting and that was that, but that was reasonable. Right. But I don't remember him personally yelling at me. So, and again, this is not to put anyone down this is not to to you know insult anyone or or bash anyone i just number one i don't i don't have time for that and then number two this is just simply my childhood experience right i'm I'm not i'm not pointing fingers at nobody um you know i don't have no ill will against anybody like no it's just what I experienced in school that affected me deeply emotionally and mentally. And so, yeah, I felt every, ever since like, particularly an instance in third grade where I was sitting at a desk. First of all, I mean, this day was rough. I, I had a hard time listening and because I was daydreaming in school, that's the only reason why I really wasn't listening in school. And because when I would listen, you know, I do well. <laughs> but we were we were supposed to do this, like I want to say, reading language arts, a comprehension type of assignment, like a reading assignment, and then answer questions. And I, no matter how much, because I wasn't listening. So no matter how much I tried to get it done, it was just not, it was just not going well. And I went back and forth to the teacher's desk to have her check my work. And every time it was just like, nope, 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 nope. And to the point where, you know, my uh, worksheet was all messy. And I just, I remember like sitting, like sitting at my desk with my head down in my hands and just feeling ashamed of myself and disappointed in myself. And then this faculty member came into the teacher's room and they started talking and whatnot. And the teacher is complaining about how it wasn't just me. It was like most of the class that was just doing horrible this day. And she got to me and she was saying my name. She's like, oh, yeah, Sydney was Sydney did this, too. Sydney, Sydney, dotted, I just heard my name and, and, and you can hear like the 
the disapproval of me in her voice. Right. And then that faculty member who came in, she looked at me and she like, <gasps> like gasped, like the Macaulay Culkin home alone face, but like without like two hands up against her face. But like that, that kind of surprise, shocked reaction. And I heard the enemy come in my ear and say, you know, if you're not perfect, nobody will love you. How crazy is that? If you're not perfect, nobody will love you. And from that point on, it was as in now, mind you, mind you, I especially know now it was all a deception. But I mean, from school, from sometimes family and then church made that lie seem to be very, very, very true. And so therefore, my struggles with rejection just just I mean. It took off from there. Uh, and then my perfectionism also took off from there. And my objective in life was then was then to be perfect so that no one would reject me. But I still got rejected anyway, which is crazy. And so from that point on, the enemy had me on this cycle mentally of trying to be perfect, trying to be perfect in every way, shape and form. But then I get rejected and then I get heartbroken and I'm like, maybe let me, let me try again. Let me try harder. Let me try with this person. Let me try with that person. And it just, it just seemed like at one, at some point in my life, I was just rejected easily from anybody from every side. Just like, I just did not feel loved or accepted. And the truth of the matter is People loved me. I just didn't receive it. And I want and I really wanted to let me stay on this point real quick because you can tell someone that you love them. You can show them that you love them. But that does not always mean that they received it. That now they, they may receive now. Hopefully they received it down the line like I have. Like I've looked back as a recently like, oh, this person really did love me. And this person really did show me, you know, I I received it now <laughs> years later. But it's still, you know, finally I received it. So hopefully when people you do show love to, they may not receive it in that moment, but hopefully, prayerfully, they receive it at some point in their lives. Um, Because rejection is not an easy thing to deal with. It's a stronghold because you have this perception. It's, it's, it's a lens. It is a lens that you look through in life as if just... Nobody wants you. And if someone appears to want you, you got to you automatically think you got to give up something of yourself. Well, let me let me. That's a great transition point. So let me uh, continue. So middle school, I was a chubby child and I this is where my issues with like looking at my body, like body image issues came into play and I felt like in a way I wanted to lose weight, but I kind of felt pressure to lose weight only because I remember looking at my weight and looking at myself at one point. I was like, this is too, this is too much weight for, you know, an 11, 12, 13 ish year old child. So in eighth grade, I lost, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, not eighth grade, uh, seventh grade. 
I went from 170 pounds to 130 pounds all by myself. Like I, there was a, the elliptical, like those training bike, them exercise bikes. We had one in the basement and I was on there for like at least about 15 to 30 minutes. They, I probably every day. I don't know. It was, it was just something that I feel like it had to be done. And while in a way that's one of my proudest accomplishments, it's just like, but I, I still didn't really do it for me. I did it because again, perfectionism. And it felt like it, it, and from that point on still, like even though I lost the weight, I still saw myself as being fat, honestly. So it was just like my, I, I wish my mindset would have matched the the greatness of that accomplishment because even i remember going to the doctor's office and my mom always brings it up to this day when we uh we went to the doctor's office like kind of shortly after i lost all that weight and she hugged the crap out of me <laughs> like she really really just started and hugged me she embraced me so hard um because you know really physically speaking that was the greatest thing to do for me but i still I like I, I just wish that I would have done it for me and only for me and not feel pressured by perfectionism society to, you know, be this to not be this chubby kid to not be this fat kid and you, you got to lose weight. So then in high school, this is where things are going to get a little raw. First of all, I had no business. I I did stuff I had no business doing like being in a friends with benefits relationship. Like whenever I had a boyfriend, just just about every boyfriend I've had up until like now, my uh last boyfriend, I had a relationship with him during college. But in high school, I definitely had no business sexting, which I was. Um, I felt like I had to like I this is where I really started like middle school to high school transition period and in high school I really felt like I had to like give my body away like and I was still I was still a virgin in high school but miraculously but um, I could because I was looking for love in all the wrong places the only thing that made me kept my virginity during high school was church because I grew up in church in elementary school and then we there were there was a period where I didn't go to church but um because I grew up in church and because it was just I cared about what people think so I knew that was just that was just wrong I was gonna obviously look fast even though I was doing some fast stuff that nobody <laughs> lord have mercy that nobody <laughs> obviously would know unless I tell them um, you know, you, you just look back on this stuff and you just realize how much God, you know, done really kept you and brought you through It's is, it's, I'm having one of those moments. So yeah, in, in high school, I had, no, I still looking like the goody two. Well, first of all, I was, this is where depression really kicked in for me. Like now I clearly, I was dealing with and, and also I was dealing with body issues in terms of having eczema which I got genetically from my dad thanks dad but I was insecurity automatically I know insecurity hit me in middle school high school depression and the really like the pressure to fit in like I just couldn't be myself 
even though I was doing those these fantastic extra extracurricular activities like being in the drama club like being in marching band then later on my mama kind of forced me to be in national honor society I <laughs> I was in like this you know the school choir no matter what and yeah but I was still going through some stuff in my mind I was still beating myself I remember doing homework assignments and like, okay, so while I had these issues with uh, having eczema, I would know uh, if you have a queasy stomach, an uneasy stomach, I really, this is a trigger warning. I don't mind if you stop listening to this podcast here and I'll catch you at the next segment. So I warned you. So my skin was flaky and... Because I wasn't taking care of it and dermatite. I'm realizing now how much holistic skincare is the best skincare for eczema. Because they throw you these, this is another topic for another segment. But they throw you those steroids, those topical steroids, those ointments. Like it's going to really do something. And they did, but not as quickly as natural healing can heal your skin and actually restore your skin. But anyway, so they they it's like they worked, but my eczema came back and... It came back, what I didn't realize it was due to stress, due to feeling pressured to be perfect so that no one would reject me. And I remember doing doing homework assignments and essays and that pressure to be perfect, it was tormenting me so much that I would be picking at my flaky skin and like scratching it and then just be seeing like flakes and like uh, dirt from my skin under my nails because I was just so I felt so pressured to be like this I felt so pressured just just to be loved and to be perfect just to be loved and I I had to be perfect just to be accepted and it was just it it was a really hard time I remember hearing just demons just laughing at me and having a field day in my mind um and I I have I cried out for help on a Facebook status saying, you know, I don't feel beautiful. I want I've always wanted to feel beautiful because what kind of irritated me. Now, I these people were very sweet anytime like and these are mostly girls that would say, oh, you're so pretty. You're so pretty. You're so pretty. You're so pretty. And thank you. <laughs> you know, but I wanted the word beautiful. I wanted to hear the word beautiful and I just could never feel beautiful I didn't see myself as beautiful you know and this is kind of where daddy issues came in and the reason being I was looking for love in all the wrong places because my dad came in my life my biological dad came in my life at nine years old and just popped up at my grandmama's doorstep me and my grandma was having a deep conversation then all of a sudden that negro popped up on my door on my grandma's doorstep like hey like I was going to be so happy to see him. And I'm like, where have you been all this time? Where have you been? Now, mind you, my parents got divorced when I was three. But it's still just like where you could have still made some effort to be in my life. Like how you just now want to pop up and be like, hey, what's good? No, you got some explaining to do. Uh, my grandma show wasn't happy. So... <laughs> so 
when we spent time together, I really was starting to see his narcissism, but I did not know. I didn't know narcissistic or narcissism was a thing yet because I was still young. I mean, I don't know all this mental stuff. I just knew he was being a butthole. Uh, like there was a point, uh, there was one time in my life where we were hanging out and it was my birthday and I want to say I was turning like 10, maybe 10, 11, something, something like that. And I was like, you know what day it is? (laughs) Like the Humday commercial. Guess what day it is? But anyway, I was like, you know what day it is? And he's like, no. And I was like, you know what day it is. And he was like, no, I don't. And I, you know how people want to trick you and act like they forgot your birthday, but they got like a birthday cake in their whole fridge or something like that. Like, girl, I can't forget your birthday. I was just playing. But yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought that's what he was doing. But I was like, you know what day it is. He was like, no, I don't. And he was like, and, and he kept doing that. Like, no, I, I don't know what day it is. I don't know what day it is. And I, the disappointment that I did, I didn't even know how deep that disappointment hit me. And then I was like, it's my birthday. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, first of all, because that didn't. And then my mom revealed to me that he was, again, being a butthole. Because how you going to. How are you going to want to be in your daughter's life on a pop up on her grandmother's doorstep? And, you know, try to pursue a relationship and then have the, you know, the the nerve to do something like that. To even make me think that you forgot about my birthday, but you want to be in my life. What? So he would do like. He would do very selfish, narcissistic stuff like that, like he could never be wrong. That's one sign of a narcissist. They're never they're always right. They can never be wrong. They don't do accountability. And that's the the that was the number one reason for me personally why I could not really have a fruitful, sustaining, a growing relationship with my father because it was stagnant because he would not check his behavior. I mean, up until he died, which was uh last month this year. He died the day after Passover this year. So it's, it's just like, you know, you can only do somebody. And, and I would the, the phrase, you know, that's still your dad, but that's still your dad. Absolutely. That's still my dad. But my dad is still toxic. There is nothing wrong with putting up healthy boundaries. I'm not saying to not forgive them because I'm still working on forgiving my dad. Forgiveness is truly in layers. Mind you, you can't. I. With toxic parents, you're not going to forgive them in one fell swoop. You're going to have to process every single action, every single thing, everything, every single word, every single harsh word they said to you. You're going to have to process that and really forgive. So, yeah, you can't you can't forgive toxic parents in one fell swoop. So it was it was just very hard interacting with him. And so, and and also he would make fake promises. Like, and I remember one 4th of July, I said, you know, I, I really want to go to this, I don't don't even remember this such and such a place. 
and I was dead serious. I was like, I really, 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 really want to go. You was like, okay, okay, we're gonna go. And I was like, I'm dead serious. And he was like, yes, we're gonna go, we're gonna go. And then when that the time came, and it was around the 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 Fourth of July time for whatever event I was talking about, and I was like, hey, what about what about this such and such a place? And he was like, Sydney, don't you know I gotta work? Don't you know I gotta work? Da, 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 da. And that was just it was a, it felt like another another I don't know dagger in my heart like wow so I was wrong for holding him accountable then I remember this what really and I've just now been like fully forgiving him and and restored from this moment when he first of all in high school him and my mother would always you know going back and forth to court over him not paying child support so back to you know when I was nine years old he want to pop up on my doorstep like hey I want to be in your life but then it got to the point where he almost had a warrant out for his arrest because he did not pay child support on time and there was one point where the judge was it was uh talking to him and it was like why summarizing this question why aren't you taking care of your responsibilities why aren't you doing what you need to do and he says i have other people to take care of and i'm later finding out that you know those people some of those people on on his side of the family like my father's side of the family others is just like strangers but it's like so and I felt so low I felt so rejected and I felt so less than my worth felt very just it, that established my worth to me even though that wasn't true it was just like so you have other people to take care of I'm your daughter I should be the princess I should be the first one I mind you I have a half sister too um he didn't have contact with her what I also found out recently in over 20 years but anyway so I was like you know you you want to be this father to me and you want to be all up in my face yet and still like like the, the his switching up was something else and I was like I, I I should be the number one person that you should ever worry about providing for ever worry about taking care of because I'm your blood daughter I'm your flesh and blood daughter. I'm not a strange. Like he was treating me behind my back like a stranger, but then it was all up in my face. Like, hey, I want a relationship. I want a relationship. I want a relationship. But then it's just like, and there were times where I was, I wanted to cut him off. I didn't want to talk to him again because I saw how much he was toying with me against whatever grudge, whatever, you know, anger that he held against my mother, which <laughs> I'm not going to really expound upon what happened in their marriage, but it was mostly their fault, it, uh, his fault, why they got a divorce. It was on him why they got divorced. So it was just, it was just a lot for me to deal with. I remember crying in my kitchen after my mother told me this and her and my grandmother were comforting me and just you know kind of just like shaking their heads because it's like how can you we we can't we got to stop laying down with people 
having these kids. This is men and women. I just did. There are Debbie dads, but there are Debbie moms too. So let's stop just laying down with people, having these kids that you're not going to take care of. Okay. My mom just said a very profound thing to me. And she said, you know, every child needs a parent, but not every parent needs a child. And boy, is that true? That is super duper true. So fast forward. Um, and also let me, hold on, let's pump the brakes before we fast forward. So I'm experiencing this with my dad, my biological dad in middle school. My mom, well, first of all, my mom met my stepdad in, while I was in elementary school, but then in middle school, I, I don't know, like I was having like a, my little attitude hormonal moment with him. Like he said, bye. My stepdad dropped me off to middle school. He said bye to me. I didn't say bye back. I was like, you know, I don't want to talk to you. Kind of mood. <laughs> Teenagers. And he was going to my mom like, I don't know what I did to her. But yeah. But and then ever since that moment. He it, it was just like our relationship just barely existed. And it's just like he cut me off in that moment and what it seemed like to me, because from then on, he would we would both be in the same house, but never talking to each other. Like at most, I talked to him. I had to go to him to fix like my electronics to kill spiders in my room. And he even got annoyed with that sometimes. Now some Sometimes I, I understood it, but. It's just like, and I had to initiate, you know, some kind of loving connection with my stepdad after that. And then it got to the point where, and I'm, I'm still learning to forgive him too for this, that I, I, I found out he has issues with communication because his dad wasn't in his life. So, and then the same thing happened with my biological dad. He was looking for his dad. And then whoever he was, whoever was his dad that he met up with, he was just like, why don't you want a relationship with me? And that man said, get off my property. So I'm seeing this cycle of fatherlessness that is passed down from my, to my stepdad and to my biological dad that is now being passed on to me. Because these are men that don't know how to be fathers and they're just doing whatever. You know, at, at least do the best you can. And with my biological dad, I'm seeing, I'm still trying to see, honestly, in some ways that he was doing the best he can. Again, this is a problem. I'm not going to act like I'm perfect and I got this all together. No, I'm, I'm still seeing, you know, God is still revealing to me how in some ways he did the best he can and my stepdad did the best he, he could. But in, I remember just thinking for so long, like, at least try, just at least try. So, but we got to in the, in the black community and I, well, there's other communities who struggle with fatherlessness, but I know in the black community it's prevalent and I always pray that it stops. I always pray that the cycle stops with my generation and the generation that is, um, coming after me because this is enough is enough. So then college. I 
get in a relationship with a dude in 2016. We met over Snapchat. <laughs> we met over Snapchat and I was flirting with him first. And then we kind of like hit it off from there. And that relationship taught me a lot. First of all, it taught me that you really need to love yourself before you love anybody else. Because he was insecure and I was insecure. He was insecure, but like in an arrogant way. And I was insecure, like beating myself up kind of way. Like always looking down on myself and just like not like like be like beating myself up just 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 not seeing how not even really seeing my potential not just self-doubting uh and again I was still going through like those nervousness like with doing homework assignments and like picking at my skin and scratching my skin because that was that was an anxiety attack starting for me uh, well, they've already started, but it was it was getting worse. It was getting worse while because college is stressful. And whenever I get stressed, I was starting to, to to scratch and pick at my skin and was just it would barely get the assignment done because I'm too busy panicking. Right. So we were both insecure. We were both I feel like we were both broken. I certainly was. Uh, but we, how are two broken people going to fix each other? Well, we try to do that. <laughs> oh boy. We try to do that. We try to do that. And I mean, we're not together now, so you can see how that went, but rejection in that relationship happened when he broke up with me in 2017, March of 2017 to be exact. And I didn't expect to fall into depression as much as I did because I saw how our lives were changing and I saw the breakup coming really because we were just going two separate ways in our lives and we just could not stay together. So I was just like, you know, it was very an amicable breakup. It was a very amicable breakup until like a week to a month later or something like that. I was a wreck. I was, I remember Oh, man, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and just seeing like this dark cloud. I kind of touched up on this um, in the Who is Sydney Sarah segment. But yeah, I, I remember looking like like looking at myself and seeing like this dark cloud over myself. Just seeing this dark, just this, this, this darkness, this sadness. This, it was just not good. And I remember crying in my bed and the very thing I thought was you know why can't a man love me this is building upon my rocky relationship with my biological dad my non-existent relationship with my stepdad because he was like he was there he was there in the house but he wasn't there and you still need to be present just because a man is in the house and you visibly see them in the household does not mean that he is there does not mean that he's being present so anyway, so it was building upon that. So that my non-existent relationship with my stepdad building on top of the rocky relationship with my biological dad. And then on top of looking for love in all the wrong places in middle school slash high school and, you know, feeling like I got to give my body away in order to receive some kind of love back. And then 
uh, my love life was horrible, just horrible. And then the breakup with, we were almost at a year when he broke up with me. We were almost at it. We broke up at 11 months. We were almost at a year. So my longest relationship is just short of a year recently as of recently. So I just felt dis uh, you know the term broken hearted. I felt shattered hearted. I felt completely shattered hearted. I felt completely just like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I have a man love me? Just and in this big gaping hole in my heart for where a dad needed to fill in. Just where a dad, not a boyfriend, is where a dad need to fill in. So I remember I felt the presence of God and I felt God like kind of just staring at me with tears in his eyes. Like I felt like Jesus in my room was just standing in a corner and was just as I was crying my eyes out, he was crying. So then it's kind of no surprise how things turned around after that. Um, Two people that I went to high school with was putting up this e-flyer on Facebook of this church. Again, I've shouted them out before, so I'm shouting them out again. <laughs> Shout out to Power Kingdom Life Ministries. They had this youth ministry called Lit Living in Truth, if you remembered me mentioning that. Um, that's what it was called. And they put up e-flyers on Facebook. And every time I looked at one of those flyers, I just, I felt, I felt the Lord was just like, come here. Come here. He was just like drawing me into those flyers. Every time I saw them just scrolling up and down my timeline, just come here, go there, go there. So I was able to catch a ride and get there. That was the night that changed my life. That was the night that changed, like, that's not only where I felt the presence of God so strongly, that is where I learned about the prophetic because that's where I got my first prophecy. This, uh, I don't know if I can say his name. So I'm going to just say my brother, the big brother in Christ uh, now, but uh, then he didn't know me from a can of paint prophesying, reading me like a book. It was, I felt so, <laughs> I felt so exposed and so naked. That's true prophecy when they, because Prophecy is not only talking about the future and in my quick teaching is very basic. Like you, we can go into depths of prophecy and different types of prophecies and that, 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 but it's when you are really like exposing like the secrets of the heart, like in first Corinthians, I believe Paul says, you know, we all speaking in tongues you know, an unbeliever walks in, they're going to think they were mad. They're going to think they were crazy. But if one of us prophesies what's in his heart, the secrets of his heart, he will not only start to believe in God, he will say, God is here. He will say, God is here. God is, or God is with you. So anyway, um, then, and, and, and that's what really reiterated my, my belief in God, because it kind of felt like a bit lofty, just like, Oh, but God is real and God is good and he kept you and, 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 and you know, it would the, the the shouting and stuff in church I would see and you know, I I I've witnessed some supernatural stuff too, but it was just like what makes me believe in God and the fact that he talks back 
the fact that that man that I met that night, it was like my big brother in Christ. Now, like I said, he, I, he, I remember he said specifically, I don't, the, everything else he said, I literally don't remember except for this part. He said, you, you know, you're ashamed of the real you. You don't like the real you, but God loves the real you. And I remember thinking to myself, what is the real me? Who, who is she? Who, who is that? Who is Sydney Sarah? Who is that? Because I was too busy trying to be perfect. I was too, too busy trying to be like everybody else. So that way I can receive some kind of love and some kind of acceptance, some kind of identity. So then this lady who was preaching that night, I haven't seen to this very day, um, was definitely her sermon was definitely for me. And then she came over to me and she was like, you know, this sermon was for you, right? I was like, well, yeah, God, I was in my, in my mind. I was like, yuck. I was like, duh. And yeah, it was very obvious. I just saw like the Holy Spirit just kind of chased me down this night. So through her, she prayed over me. And specifically, this is where I learned about soul ties. Cause she was like, Lord God, you know, break this soul tie, the soul tie between me and my boyfriend. Cause I lost my virginity to him when I was 19. And she was like, break this, break this. But mind you, soul ties don't have to be sexual. It don't come from just uh, having sex with somebody. It can be emotional too. Um, So she was like, Lord God, you know, break this soul tie, break this soul tie. Da, 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 da. I was like, soul tie? <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, but in my mind, I was like, soul tie? The devil is a lie. You could... I already knew it, you know, it could be demonic. Soul ties can be very demonic. But when I heard that, I was like, yeah, you don't have to tell me that's demonic. I already know because that's crazy. Soul ties, like I'm tied up with somebody's soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know one, one, uh, uh, incident in in scripture that talks about uh, two people's souls tied together. It was between David and Jonathan and it is, um, you know, where in the Bible I should know this, but when, when I want to say when Saul was chasing after David, cause Saul was jealous of David and was trying to kill David. Uh, it says in scripture that in Jonathan and David's souls were knitted together that, yeah, that's it. So, because they were, they were like brothers to each other already. So anyway, I, when she prayed that prayer, whoo wee. You talking about a prayer that work, the the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Let me tell you, it broke. I felt that break off. It was a my, it, it felt so mighty. It was a like, you know, and, and I was before that uh, church service. I was texting my boyfriend like, I want you back. You know, da, da, da. I missed the times that we did this and I missed the times when we did that and that. But after she prayed that prayer about me, uh, getting that soul tie broke off of me, it broke off, period. It broke off. I was able to delete pictures. I was able to delete his phone number. I gave all this, them gifts and them big old teddy bear for Valentine's Day and stuff like that. I gave all that back. Just everything I could think of that he gave to me, I either gave it back to him or I donated it. Or I just simply just threw it away. Cause you can't, you can't keep holding stuff off from the past. You've got to move on to the future. You know, and it can get deeper than that. But, you know, I really encourage you if there's any women that can relate to this 
a topic with relationships and breakups and whatnot. If you recently broke up with your boyfriend or your boyfriend broke up with you, honey, please give the stuff that he gave you, them old big old t-shirts that you be wearing of his, give it back. Cause I was wearing one of my, uh, boyfriend's, uh, sweatpants, uh, not sweatpants, sweatsuits, which was kind of itchy. I was kind of glad to give that back. But anyway, <laughs> um, I gave back his like Michigan State t-shirt because he was a he's a big fan of Michigan State um, football team and some other stuff that he gave to me. I gave it all back, gave it all back. It was it was very supernatural how it happened. And then the last thing that happened that night that was super significant was I was just on my face. <laughs> you know how people at church was just like be on your face before the Lord. I was on my face, period. I was on my that was the first time I was on my face specifically. And. I had like this naked, that was the first time also, I had like this naked feeling. But I remember to this day what I was wearing. I had like a, this white shirt that had like a, t- a dashiki um, print on it. It was a short sleeve shirt when it was span- in spandex. And I had jeggings and my black knee high uh, Timberland brand boots. And I was on my face just you know kneel down on the floor because I was going through a major deliverance like major deliverance tears just ugly crying just my face jacked up and yeah the naked feeling came over me I know I got clothes on why do I feel naked (laughs) that's one of the signs that you know God you're really feeling the presence of God and it's, it's a very tangible presence too and I remember feeling these words. I didn't hear them, but I felt them. And it was like a, it was like a, a vapor in the air that I saw visually. But I remember feeling these words. I may be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but I am not too big to be your father. And that's where I really received God, not just this mighty God that, you know, that can split the Red Sea and and you know did all this that that it's that is just so mighty that we gotta obey and and whatnot it was it went from that to now like oh he is father god as my father and i received him as such and i rededicated my life to him at that moment because i needed a father i needed not just a father figure anymore i needed that I needed someone to fill that humongous void in my soul, not even just in my heart, in my soul. So then I went home after that emotionally exhilarating, exhausting night. <laughs> and my mom saw my face and she was like, wow, you're bright. And I was like, what? So I go in the bathroom and I sure enough was, and now my face was kind of crusty because tears and snot and stuff. But it was very, it was very bright. And I told you before how I was very dark and gloomy looking beforehand. And I saw the depression, but it was like a light, like it was like a lamp <laughs> was lit under my skin. It was just like, bing, it's on. So ever since then, it's been a journey, child. I done got more deliverance, more healing, more restoration. But I'm glad to say that I'm at the point now where I'm truly walking in my identity 
in God, I'm being more, I'm not even just being more honest with myself. I'm being more transparent. I am being more raw with myself. Therefore, I can be raw with my listeners uh, and the people who I love around me. I am not perfect and I can embrace that now too. Glory be to God. Because, I mean, throughout my story, clearly, you know, I wasn't able to. Because I was so, af- I was just so afraid of being rejected. Even though I kept getting rejected and then I was trying to find other ways to be accepted and I got rejected then. And so with God being father in my life and I have my identity, my true identity now. It's like I'm already, I had the love of God. I had his acceptance already. But I didn't know it. It's it's literally like the lie, how the serpent told uh, Eve in the garden of in the garden of Eden. Oh, God is afraid. You know, if you eat the the fruit of the tree from the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, if you eat this tree, God is afraid that you're going to be like Him. Adam and Eve were already made in the image and likeness of God. You're they're literally we're literally God's reflection. How more of God can you be? We already had that. We already we already have it. We don't have to work for God's love. We already have it. Because first John four says at 419, we love him because he first loved us. John 15, Jesus says, I you did not chose me. I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you first. Right. And then Ephesians one six in the KJV says to the glory of his grace. Wherein he have made us accepted in the beloved and then his grace is saying that we we don't first of all, we don't deserve his love and acceptance because our sins with God's holiness cannot coexist. And we deserve we deserve hell and condemnation. But because he wants us, he wanted us. He sent. That's why Jesus died on the cross is grace because he he was he knew no sin and was made to be sin. So that our word, he was the perfect sacrificial lamb of God. So that way our sins can be forgiven and forgotten and casted in the sea of forgetfulness, which is based in that it says in the depths of the sea in Micah seven nineteen. But we are forgiven. We are adopted. We are accepted. We are loved. And we have the love of God that, and nothing can take us away from it. Like it says in Romans eight thirty eight through 39. Neither death or life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor rulers, neither height, nor death, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let me encourage you, especially the ones who are listening, who have dealt with the religious spirit, who are dealing with a self-righteous works-based salvation mindset, that's it's erroneous because you're working for identity and you're working for the love of God and the acceptance of God. And you already have it. It's in the grace of God, which is in Jesus Christ. There's a scripture that says uh, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He is grace and truth. So let the truth set you free right now. Who the son says free is free indeed. And Jesus calls himself the way, the truth and the life. So the truth is a person. So let Jesus set you free by showing 
him, showing you his grace. And all you got to do is receive it. Just try, just choose to receive it. I know it can be hard going from a religious mindset to because grace is the opposite, the complete, direct, total opposite of religion. But just embrace your identity. Embrace the love of God that you already have. The acceptance of God that you already have on today. I pray that this blessed you we, because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Um, I, I upload every Monday, Wednesday and Friday around 3 p.m. Follow me on Twitter at Sydney podcast at capital S I D N I capital P O D C A S T. If you want to sow into this ministry, feel led to by the Holy Spirit, first of all, and go to anchor.fm slash Sydney, S-I-D-N-I dash P-P. And you're going to have to scroll down a little bit and see the support button. Click on that and you can sow into me monthly with a dollar, five dollars or ten dollars. And also feel free to send me a voice message, you know, to say, hey, you know, I love the podcast. Keep it going, sis. Or send me, send me, please, some constructive criticism. I am open to it. So go to that same link. It is anchor. So A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash S-I-D-N-I dash P-P. Again, that's where you can see the support button and the message button. When you hit the message button, you're going to send a voice message to me if you like. And yeah, and I'll be able to receive it. And like my page on Facebook at Sydney's it's Sydney's prophetic podcast on Facebook page my face that's my Facebook page be sure to like it and that's where I'm going to be doing my announcements and updates and whatnot in case I won't be able to record for the day so I thank you I thank you for listening especially for this long because this is about an hour <laughs> and listen you know basically kind of like my life story even though there's a lot more I could go into like but it'd be more off topic and it's different topics. But I thank you so much, so, so, so much for listening to all of this. If you made it to this point in the segment and I love you and appreciate you so, so much. Have a great rest of your day. God bless. <laughs>